You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. You know, if there's one thing that my mother wanted for me and my three sisters, it was for us to know Jesus. And so she was very had a very concerted effort to bring us up in a Christian home. As you know, I've told you my testimony. Sadly, my father left the faith when I was a young person. And so all through my teenage years, it was my mom who was really the spiritual influence. She was kind of the father and mother in our household. And she prayed often for me. What I found out later on was that she prayed for my wife long before I even knew who she was. And she prayed for my sons before we were ever even married. She didn't call them sons. She just said for his children. And so I'm thankful for that. You see, God had a wonderful design and a perfect plan, and that is to bring up kids in a home that loved the Lord. And God wants you to have a wonderful design in your life. For the last two weeks, and this the third week, we're thinking about this idea of God's design and how unfortunately it can be broken. You see, God had a design, a design originally for perfection. He wanted for us to live in a perfect harmony with him, with nothing separating us from God, nothing in the way. He wanted us to experience a joy like no other. He wanted us to feel the bliss of being in harmony with him, perfect harmony, obedient harmony. And he wanted us to know that happiness. Now, let me ask you this question. He wanted us, the design that God had for all of us, is for that to be constant, never ending. That there would not even be one moment when we would not feel those things. How's that working out for you now? I mean, are you always feeling the joy that God wanted for us? Do you always feel the perfection that God planned for you from the beginning? I dare say none of us can say that because something came. Sin entered into this world and when sin entered into this world for the the first family, it made everything broken. It tore things apart. Uh, Families became broken almost immediately. You know, there's the story of Cain and Abel, the very first uh, sibling rivalry. You know, and if you've had sibling rivalry... There were times when, you know, I wanted to kill my sisters, and I'm sure they wanted to kill me. But we never followed through on it. But those first siblings, brother to brother, Cain killed Abel. Sin destroyed. Sin broke apart that family. Sin hurt them. Uh, Guilt is a terrible thing when you know that you're not living in a proper lifestyle as a husband and wife. Maybe some people when they are living together. Or maybe parents who aren't bringing up their children in the way that they should go. They don't have any spiritual influence in their children's lives. They're not bringing them to church because maybe they're not regularly in a church service. And it's not just about church. It's about the way you live every single day. And so there's abuse of kids. Sometimes it's uh, teenage kids or adult kids who break the hearts of their mothers and their fathers who have a heart for Jesus. Maybe that brokenness shows up in your career. You've got a career and uh, you do the best you can But sometimes it's not good enough, and so you skirt around the corners and you cut 
and do little shortcuts that you know are not right, that are immoral or wrong? Are you not always honest about how you're doing your work? You know, you lie to the boss so that he won't know that you haven't always been doing all that you're supposed to do. Or if you are the boss, maybe sometimes uh, you don't always deal honestly and above board with your customers or your employees. And you feel guilty for what you do. I dare say some of us today know that feeling. We feel guilty for what we do. And then there's the area of your spiritual life. That brokenness pops and that uh, brokenness uh, is like having a, a, a vessel and it breaks and everything in it spills all over the place and it all gets dirty and soiled. And in your spiritual life, you know, you, you may walk the good walk and talk the good talk and you tell people you're a Christian and you wear a cross all the time. You got baptized when you were young. You walked down an aisle. You got your name on the church roll. But you're not really living for Jesus. Not when it matters most. When you're out in the world where people need a witness. And some of us have totally left God behind. We've totally ignored him. He's not at all a part of our lives today. And we don't have time for him. We don't have time to serve him. We don't have time for his church. What's the primary feeling you have in your heart when you hear about all of that? For some of you, you have joy because that describes your former way of life. That's the way you used to live. But at some point recently or maybe years ago, you stopped and put an end to it and said, I won't live this way any longer. I know God loves me and I know he'll forgive me if I just ask him. And if I repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then I can do away with the brokenness. But some of you are dealing with guilt. You feel it very intensely. Maybe even right now you're feeling it. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. I'll be reading this one from the King James Version. I don't normally do so, but I just like the way it states this verse better than any other translation. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Think about that. The idea of being like a sheep, a shepherd trying to lead you, but you've left the path and you run off and now you're in danger. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, who's he talking about there? Who is that him? That's Jesus Christ. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That verse comes from a passage that is predicting about Jesus coming into this world. And about 500 years later, after Isaiah wrote down those words, it happened. Jesus did come. But it predict, predicted something about Jesus. It predicted that he would come and die. This is often called the suffering servant song. Because it's talking about a servant who suffers. And you know, uh, anybody who serves is going to face some suffering. But Jesus faced the ultimate. Because being perfect, having never sinned, he took on the sins of the whole world. And he took them to the cross and they were punished. And he then took them to the grave where they were buried. But then the victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came back to life. 
Amen? He came back to life. Jesus is alive. And we serve a risen Savior. But when we think about this idea of a sheep and the suffering servant of Jesus, you know, there was a, a tradition, and there still is a tradition, although they don't go through the sacrifice, but there's a day every year in the Jewish calendar called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Excuse me. On that day, the priests do something where they lay their hands on a goat. And what that symbolizes, it symbolizes the transfer of all the sins of Israel, all the sins of the God-fearing people of the chosen people of Israel would be transferred upon that goat. And then something happens. They send that goat out of the city gate and he is freed to roam and go away. And then they take another goat whom they have not put the sins on and they cut that goat from ear to ear, spilling out the blood. And that goat who doesn't have the sins is sacrificed for all the people of Israel. They call that the escape goat, the one that they send away. It's been later shortened and now it's just called a scapegoat. And in our parlance, our, our communication today, you know, a scapegoat is someone who uh, we take all of our bad things and we blame them for. Have you ever done that? Where you blame someone else for something that you've done that's wrong? Well, that's essentially what you've done with Jesus Christ. He willingly took on all your sins. He is our sacrifice. And we are set free like that scapegoat is set free. We don't have to die because the other goat, Jesus, he did die. Now, that's just one of many places in the Old Testament where we see the symbolism of Jesus dying for the sins of his people. And he did that for you and me. Jesus freed us from the penalty of sin. So that, again, we read Isaiah 53, 6. Now, thinking about it in that light, listen to it again. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've sinned. And we've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he didn't deserve it, but he's the one who died for it. He died in your place. He was sacrificed for you. We went away. We sinned. We broke our lives. Your life is broken because of the mistakes you made, not because of someone else. But God said, I don't want that for them. Because he knew that you and I can't fix our own mistakes. That's the thing. When you think about brokenness, it's like this. Uh, we have that circle called brokenness that we've been talking about for three weeks. And those little squiggly lines that go away from it, those are the ways that you and I try to fix things. You know, we cover it up with pain. We cover up the pain, rather, sometimes with distractions. Throw ourselves into our busy activities or, or work becomes our focus. Trying to cover up our lonely feeling because we have sinned and we've maybe estranged ourselves from everybody. Uh, we've pushed away our husbands or our wives, maybe even our children or our parents. Uh, we try to cover it up with entertainment. You know, if I can just laugh a little bit or cry about someone else's struggles a little bit. Or if I can just have this devilish enjoyment of, you know, revenge of some bad guy getting uh, what's due him. And so we put it all on entertainment, reading books or watching movies or TV shows or getting involved in sports activities or other leisure activities. But here's the thing. There's another way that people try to fix their own problem. Sometimes it's through good works. Have you ever found out that uh, you feel like you're trying to, to fix things by doing good? 
You say, well, I messed up over here, so if I just go and help somebody, maybe it'll, you know, make those two balance out. The problem with that question is, that's the question that false religions have been asking us to uh, do for, for generations, for thousands of years. A false religion says the way you fix the problem is you do some good works to overcome the bad. Well, my question then is, how many good works is good enough? You know, if it's based on my goodness, how much good do I have to do to cover up the bad? Is 10 good acts enough to cover up one bad act? Or is it a one for one? If I do 10 bad things, I can I have to do 10 good. Well, that sort of makes it sound like I can run around and be a terrible rotten so-and-so and be evil. But as long as tomorrow, you know, I make a donation to the World Cancer Fund or something like that, it's all washing out, right? It doesn't work that way. Because sin at its fundamental basis is this. And that is that when you sin, you reject God. And so those false religions don't understand who God is. They teach us that God is essentially ourselves. Or God is this vengeful God. And these false religions want us to make ourselves good enough for him. We keep trying to make ourselves built up into him. But Jesus did the opposite. He came to be like us. You see, God made a way out of brokenness, and it's called the gospel. God made a way out. You and I, we can't do enough good in order to fix the brokenness that we caused in our own lives. And so God made a way out. You know, God could have chosen revenge, but he didn't, did he? You know, one of uh, our favorite shows that we sometimes watch at the Purcell home is a TV show called The Office. And in that, there was one episode where one of the characters, Pam, she's an employee, and her boss, Michael, started dating her mother. And she didn't like that. In fact, she got mad. And she wanted revenge. And so finally, he said, well, I'm not going to stop dating your mother. And he said, I'm going to date her even more. You know, kind of being spiteful. And it was all sort of like a high school thing. <laughs> and it turned into this situation where he said, you know, they made an arrangement that they'd go out on the parking lot and she'd be allowed to hit him in the face. I know that sounds silly, but that's what, you know, comedies are, right? They're total silliness. But you can imagine that. I bet some of you even had that happen to you when you were in school, but not at the office. But anyway, that's what happened. And the reason I bring it up is because they went out and they went to the parking lot and she finally did it. She th followed through and she hit the boss in the face because he was dating her mother. And then her husband came up to her afterwards and said, did that make you feel better? She said, no, I thought it would, but it didn't. You see, re revenge doesn't make anybody feel better. And God knows that, and so he doesn't seek revenge. You see, people are punished for sin, not out of a vengefulness, not because God wants to destroy it, even though he says vengeance is mine, but his ultimate goal is repentance for us. He wants to redeem us. Vengeance is only the thing that we face when we totally reject God. But you don't have to do it. You don't have to reject him. God made a way out, and that's by sending his son Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice. Revenge doesn't have to be the end. 
Instead, redemption can be the end. God will win you back through his son Jesus and he wants you to do one thing and that is just repent and believe. And so he made that way out. John 3.16, listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at that verse. Why did he do it? He so loved you. He so loved you, he was willing to come and die for you when he didn't deserve it. He was willing to let himself be the victim of God's vengeance because he knew it would destroy you. That word for perish means to destroy yourself. Uh, uh, he believeth in him so that you should not destroy yourself by your sin. Instead, you can have everlasting life. God so loved you. And so there is one answer that fixes the brokenness. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says this. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you the most important, most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, the gospel is our only hope. It's our only way out of brokenness. And how do you experience the gospel? How do you receive it? How do you uh, enjoy it? How do you re receive that gift that he wants to offer? You repent and you believe. Now I gave a little book out to people who were here on Wednesday nights and I've got some others. If you'll promise to come on Wednesday nights starting this week, we're going to begin a training on how you can present what I have been sharing the last three weeks in sermon form that you can present it in such a simple way that you can sit down, take out a napkin, and draw these three circles and explain to someone in about two to five to 20 minutes, depending on how much time you have, how they can experience the fix or the brokenness. And so I'll be happy to give you one of these books today if you'll promise to be here on Wednesday night. Now, if you're teaching on Wednesday night, I understand, and you won't, uh, one of the other classes, you can have one too. But this little book is teaching us how to do something, how to turn everyday conversations that you just have while you're going throughout your day, you're sitting at the break room at work, or you're having a meal after church on a Sunday afternoon, or whether you're sitting around at your house or you're going to school and you're waiting for the teacher to come in and start teaching the Pythagorean theorem or whatever that is. And you can just turn these conversations into gospel conversations where you can share that God has a design for you, but that sin broke that design. But Jesus made a way called the gospel if you will just repent and believe. And then you can pursue God's design all over again. But I bring it up because in this little book, there's a story that one of the authors, it's written by two people, but one of the authors talks about how he had gone to the Philippines on the island of Mindanao. And his mentor told him to go out and preach in the market. And he said, boy, did I preach. He really preached. I mean, he gave it all, his, all he got. And, and just with gusto, he preached how Jesus died for their sins 
And how they needed to confess their sins and ask forgiveness for their sins. And that if they believed in Jesus, they would be saved and forgiven. And he said he just preached and preached and he gave an invitation. And in that Muslim area, a hundred people came to know Jesus Christ. They prayed and asked Jesus to forgive them. He said it was an amazing feeling. I was exhilarated and confident that I had done what God called me to do. I preached the gospel. Later on that day, he went back to the village where he and his mentor were staying. And they sat down and talked. And the mentor encouraged him, told him how proud he was, congratulated for his passion while he preached, uh, his commitment to be willing to do something difficult like that that not a lot of people would be willing to do. But then through the conversation, he said this, something that shocked the man. He said, but you didn't preach the gospel. He said, what are you talking about? Of course I preached the gospel. I preached that Jesus died for them and they asked forgiveness. They could be saved. And a hundred people got saved. He said, I have no doubt that those people got saved. God can use anything. But you didn't preach the gospel. He said, what do you mean I didn't preach the gospel? What are you talking about? He said, there's a part of the gospel you left out that might be the most important part. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried and then raised according to the scriptures. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ is that, yes, he died according to the scriptures. The Bible in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before a crucifixion ever even existed, no one had even thought of killing people that way. Psalm 22 says that Jesus would die on a cross. 500 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah said that he would suffer like a lamb for the slaughter. And Jesus suffered like a lamb for the slaughter. In Isaiah 53, he said that. Listen to Psalm 16.10. It says, For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will allow your faithful one, you will not allow your faithful one to decay. You see, the Bible is teaching us this: that Jesus had to rise again. He couldn't just die, he had to resurrect. I had an old professor who said, he was a liberal, he didn't believe the Bible like he ought to have in my opinion. And he said, Jesus could have lived to the ripe old age of 90 years old, had a wife and kids and grandkids and died of old age and it wouldn't change our salvation one bit. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. That Jesus had to be resurrected because it was prophesied and then he has to be alive for us to serve him today. And he came back to life and showed himself to over 500 people. And then he returned to heaven. And the good news is he's coming back. And if you as a believer truly love the Lord, then you will hunger and long for that day when Jesus comes. The Bible says this, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do you have that attitude? You want to see him come back? Yeah, I know you want to live your life. But I promise you, the minute he comes, no matter what's happened in your life or before, you're going to be glad to see him if you know Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way out of the brokenness by letting his body be broken. He suffered on a cross. He was beaten and abandoned by all of his friends except one. He suffered. And during the, the suffering of Jesus during the cross, he had six hours of excruciating pain. But also imagine the feelings of guilt of taking on all the sins of the world all at once. He suffered, 
Jesus on the cross. He died, but that wasn't the end. Because the Bible says he was buried. It says he went in to the lower parts of the earth. It says that while he was there, he preached in hell. And then he rose again on the third day. And in order for you to receive that salvation, all it takes is the gospel requires a response. You just have to respond. Like if I was handing you a gift, you just have to reach out and take it. And the gift is taken by your repentance and by your believing. A lot of people say they believe. I hear it all the time. Oh, I believe. Oh, yes, I pray every night. Great. That's a wonderful thing. But did you really repent? You see people walking around and they carry a cross. Maybe not literally a big old cross like Jesus had to, but they wear one around their neck. But when you look at their lifestyles, they definitely are not living a Christ-like lifestyle. They definitely have not taken the word of God to heart and have begun doing their best to obey it. They're living in a sinful lifestyle, whatever that sinful lifestyle looks like. And some of them are people sitting in a pew on Sunday morning every single week. Maybe even on Wednesday night when they come to church. They might even come to a Sunday school class. But they, through the rest of the time, they live a sinful lifestyle. There's too many Christians who their lifestyle is one of disobedience to Jesus' teachings instead of following him and believing in him, accepting his grace and his care and his love. Well, if you love Jesus, then you'll want to obey him. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but you will want to obey him. And when the Holy Spirit tugs at your heartstrings and says, hey, you messed up, you'll feel guilty, and you'll want to repent. And when you think about people you know who don't know Jesus personally, you will want them to learn the truth of the gospel. Too many people call themselves Christians and they never obey. They don't repent. They don't follow. They don't share the gospel. But the Bible says, repent. And believe. It says believe and repent. You know, a lot of us have the belief part down. But you know what the Bible says in James? It says that even Satan and his demons believe Jesus is who he is. And it causes them to shudder, to shake. Have you ever been so afraid you were literally shaking? The key is repentance and belief. You turn away from yourself. You repent. You're walking in one direction towards your own self, putting yourself on the pedestal, making you the most important person in your life. And Jesus confronts you. The Holy Spirit convicts you, says you're a sinner and you need to turn around. Jesus died for you. He rose again and he's alive today. It's time to turn around and start walking in the way he would have you walk, wanting to put Jesus at the, on the throne of your life, making him the center of your life, obeying him and following him. Have you repented and believed? You know, today it's kind of hard to believe that anybody would live willingly without electricity in their home. But yet it still happens. I heard about a man named Dallas Willard who grew up in rural Missouri. He lived in a time before electricity came to his little community. He said his senior year of high school, the Rural Electrification Administration came in and wired the area. And everyone in his neighborhood on his street was now able 
to get electricity in their homes. And so suddenly their lives could potentially be totally different. Think about what electricity means to you today. It gets dark. In that time, that was pretty much the end of their day. They could light candles for a little while, but it wasn't bright enough to do a lot of the things we do. Food, it's a lot harder to keep food fresh as long as we do. How many of you run down to Sam's Club and you get like 48 pounds of chicken and you can take it home, put it in a freezer, and four years from now, you open it up and throw it away? Isn't that wonderful? No, I'm kidding about that, but seriously, think about that. We don't have to go out and kill a chicken every day to have fresh chicken. We just take it out of the fridge or dethaw it from the freezer. Simple things like that are now possible. Today we have modern luxuries like television and radio. I don't know, maybe we should go back <laughs> to before. <laughs> but think about it. Would you really want to live without them now that you have them? Or the computer and the internet. You walk around with a cell phone. Or maybe some of you even have a tablet like I'm using. Couldn't do that. Couldn't put these wonderful pictures up here. There's just tons of things. Our life is totally different now because of electricity. But in order to benefit, Dallas Wellard said, you have to believe in electricity, but you also have to hook up the line to your house and start using it. Folks, that's what it means to repent and believe. You know, there might have been some neighbor on that street said, oh, I know that electricity. Yep, I can hook it up. I can have me some lights on in my house, but just not interested. He believes, but he's not experiencing the benefits of it. And it's the same with a Christian who calls themselves a Christian, who acts like they are a Christian, but they've never truly repented. It's the same with that person who talks like they believe in God and they pray every night before they go to bed, but they don't obey Jesus. They don't follow him. They don't live for him. And therefore, they've never repented. And I dare say, it's unlikely that they really were saved. That might describe you. You know, as great as electricity is, it's nowhere near as good as Jesus. Because when you're laying six feet under in your casket, your soul will go on to heaven if you have Jesus. You hook up electricity, can't do that for you. There's nothing else in this world that can do it. Your good works cannot do it. Jesus' grace and your repentance and rece receiving that grace by repenting and believing. Jesus wants to put you on a path to pursuing God's design. You see, that's that last line that we draw from the gospel to God's design. You see, the minute you accept Jesus Christ, you now want to live your life and all the time pursuing God's plan for your life. What is God's plan for you? You know, there are some people I know that I know are not Christians. And I just think, boy, if that person got saved, they would be fantastic soul winners. They would be one of the best. There are some people I know, they're intelligent and they're very talkative and they're willing to talk to any old person on the street. It doesn't matter who the person is. They would be a fantastic soul winner. I can think of people who think about things in, in amazing ways. They could be a great Bible teacher if they would just give their life to Jesus. Think about lots of people like that. Humble folks who are quiet, willing to serve without any, without any praise whatsoever. 
but they have never given their life to Jesus. I want to invite you to do that today. You've been listening to Sermons at High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us. If you heard something that inspired you, challenged you, or encouraged you, please let me know. You can reach me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook at High Peak Church. Thanks for listening.